Welcome you again. Excited. I feel privileged to have this opportunity to share God's word with you this morning. And uh, and this morning we are going to talk about uh, or, or ask this question: What about the resurrection? What about the resurrection? What about it? What about it makes a difference? And I'm going to answer a few, di- try, attempt to answer a few different questions this morning about about death and the resurrection. But before we uh, do that, let's pray together one more time. Father, I just ask for your grace and your help now, my Lord, to uh, speak your word with truth and clarity and grace and love. And Above all, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit might fall upon us, God in power, creating faith, God, in our hearts to believe all that you have spoken convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment, and strengthening, God, our everlasting hope, our hope in you, Lord, that nothing in this world can take away. Help us this morning, God, believe more than ever in our resurrection hope. We love you and praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, that's where we'll begin this morning. But um, as we open up, I just want to kind of ask you a question. You know, we talk about the resurrection at Easter, of course, but the resurrection implies something else. Something has to happen before you can be resurrected, and that is death. And I don't know about you, but... It seems unusual that it's strange how little we who are alive take time to think about death. You know, we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it. Um, But it's just interesting that in life, you will experience all kinds of things that I will never experience. I may experience all kinds of things that you will never experience. Somebody on the other side of the world will experience things that you and I will never get a chance to experience. And yet there is one universal human experience. Everyone will die. I'm not a prophet. I'm a pastor. But I don't think I need a crystal ball this morning to tell you that you're going to die. Thank you for that encouraging Easter message, Pastor. And uh, we're dismissed. We'll just um, go home. But as your pastor, uh, a pastor of many of you, and as a follower of Jesus Christ, I think it is extremely important for us to take time and to have, in, in, on behalf of one another, and to help one another challenge each other from time to time to think about the most important things in life. You see, everything in this world is clamoring to get your attention. Your entire cell phone is perfectly designed to distract you because the more attention they can take of you, the more money they make. They're not for you, they're against you. Everything is screaming at you, telling you this is important, this is important, this is important. But let me tell you, how much of what do you think about in the average day is going to matter a billion years from now? When you Lord willing, if it doesn't happen suddenly and you, happen, and you happen to come upon your deathbed and you know death is coming, in those last moments before your eyes shut and you enter into eternity, will you be thinking about who won the Masters? Will you be thinking about what happened in the newest season of Game of Thrones? I doubt it. 
But maybe, just maybe, you'll be thinking about what that crazy preacher boy told you one day about life and death, heaven and hell, resurrection and eternal life. You might be thinking about that. So I have an opportunity and the privilege and the responsibility before God to help us think about the most important things this morning. And so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to begin by talking about death from Genesis chapter 2. And so if you have a Bible and you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. We're going to read uh, just a few verses, verses 8 and 9, and then we're going to jump down and read verses 15 through 17. So verses, Genesis 2, verses 8 and 9, through fi- and 15 through 17. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The Word of God. You may be seated. I'm going to ask three questions this morning and attempt to answer them. Question number one, why do we die? Question number two, why did Jesus rise from the dead? And question number three, what does the resurrection mean for us? So again, why do we die? Why did Jesus rise from the dead? And what does the resurrection mean for us? First, why do we die? We all die, of course. And the question, my question is, why? Why do we die? We might say that it's just natural, you know, Lion King, y'all, circle of life kind of thing. But I have a serious problem with that based on our actual experience, and that is I have yet to meet someone who really wants to die. Have you ever met someone that really wanted to die? I mean, not because of extreme pain, but just in the natural course of life, they say, oh, I think it will be good to die today. I've never met one. Nobody wants to die, but yet that's interesting, isn't it, if death is natural? If death is perfectly natural and it's just the way things is, then why do we treat death as an enemy and as an intruder and as something that takes something from us if it's just natural? Why is it that nobody really wants to die? My answer, I believe, and I believe is a biblical answer, is that deep down, nobody wants to die because deep down, deep down, we know that we were made to live forever. There's this faint echo of Eden that reverberates deep down in all of our hearts, saying with the loss of every loved one, something in our hearts just, just tells us this isn't right. Something's not right about this. There is this sense that's deeply imprinted upon our souls, this truth that we can't quite explain, and yet it is there inside of all of us, this desire to live forever. C.S. Lewis, one of the sharpest thinkers of the previous century, once wrote, 
If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. You see, I believe C.S. Lewis was correct. That deep down we know that we were made for another world. And of course, that's what the text says, doesn't it? That there is one God who rules and created and owns all things whom you belong to and whom everything you have belongs to and whom one day we will give an account for what we have done with what he has given us. And that he made man in his image to bear his glory and to live before him, reflecting his beauty and his holiness and his wonder and to spread over all the earth and rule over. God gave humanity the earth to rule over for his name's sake and for his glory. And he placed man in this incredible garden where there was no sin and there was these, these uh, trees and particularly two trees uh, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God told him if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you will surely die the implication being that if they had trusted God and had never disobeyed him then they would have lived forever they would have been given access to the tree of life and to live forever You see, you look out at the world, and we know that the world is not as it should be. You don't have to be a Christian to know that. You look out at the world, and you say, something's not right. Things aren't right. Look at everything that's going on here. It's not as it should be. But see, in Christianity, we have an explanation for why that is. Adam and Eve, our first parents, they had the opportunity to live forever if they had just trusted and obeyed God and believed his word more than their fleeting desires and more than the lies of the enemy. But they disobeyed God. They sinned. They they rebelled against the cosmic king. In that moment that they took the fruit, they shook their tiny fists up at heaven and said, and said, You don't know what's best for me, but I do. And I'm going to take this fruit and eat it. And the Bible says that when that happened, sin entered into the world and it broke everything. Sin is disorder. Sin is brokenness. Sin is wickedness. Sin is rebellion. Sin is is a destruction of the perfect order in which God created everything to be. Everything was perfect. They would have lived forever, but sin broke it and sin... And because of sin, death enters the world and decay and disease and sickness and pain and sorrow. Sin broke everything. And in Genesis 3, this is the result. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, we were made by God for God to know him and enjoy him and delight in a personal relationship with him forever in a world free from sin. But when Adam and Eve uh, trusted their own desires more than God, it broke everything And because of their sin and their rebellion, they were kicked out of the garden and refused access to the tree of life. How could they live forever in their sin? And and 
God, God guarded the angel with the angels the way back to the tree of life, to eternal life. Why do we die? We die because of sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But right here in the book of Genesis, God made a promise, the most incredible promise that we've been talking about uh, this entire year. Right there in Genesis 3.15, right after sin enters into the world... God gives the various curses of the effects of sin in the world. And he curses the serpent, the devil. And this is what he says. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And as we've said before, there it is right there in the book of Genesis, right after sin enters into the world, God already makes a promise. He tells Satan, he tells that serpent that there will be an offspring of the woman, a man who is coming, who is going to strike the head of the serpent and to undo the sin and the brokenness and the evil and the suffering that he wrought into this world with his lie. God was going to send a man to deal with sin and therefore deal with death forever. So why do we die? Number one, we die because of sin. And number two, the next question we're going to ask is this. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Why did Jesus rise from the dead? And that we have to skip a, a large part of the story between the fall, the first sin, and the birth of Jesus Christ. That's what we've been talking about for the past eight months here in our series, Journey Through the Bible. But God worked in history and he worked out his plan so that the Bible says in the fullness of time... The promised man came. He came. In the middle of the night, born in a manger, born of a virgin, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. He was 100% man, but he was more than a man. He was also 100% God. He came. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, he was without sin. This promised man came, and this promised man succeeded where Adam and Eve and where you and I failed. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He never once sinned. He he perfectly trusted the Father, whereas you and I don't. He perfectly surrendered his will to the Father, whereas you and I don't. The night before he was crucified, which we celebrate on Good Friday, he agonized in the garden, sweating these great drops of blood contemplating the wrath of God due to the sin of the world that he was about to bear because since he himself did not sin, he could then die for the sins of others. And he cried out in agony in the garden. But then he said, Nevertheless, Father, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And he said that to God for every time you and I looked up to heaven and said, Not thy will be done, but my will be done. Jesus succeeded where we failed. He was faithful for our faith unfaithfulness. And on the cross, the Bible says that he paid the penalty for our sins. He was crushed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. And so if Jesus on the cross 
came and really did deal and atone for and pay the penalty for the sins of everyone who would turn from their sin and believe in him. If that really happened, this raises a question. A very important question. If we die because of sin, well then what happens when our sins are forgiven? You see... Roughly 1,986 years ago, give or take a few years, Jesus of, a man named Jesus of Nazareth really did die on a cross, but that's not all he did. In fulfillment of the scripture and in fulfillment of the, his own word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the promised Savior, the restorer of the world, rose from the dead. He defeated death. He kicked open the grave, and he now lives in a glorified resurrection body never to die again. He must, he will live forever. And he now proclaims through his word, through his apostles who wrote down the New Testament and through his followers today, he now proclaims that all who turn from their sin and believe in him will have their sins in him forgiven. Therefore, the penalty that we deserve for our sins absolved because he paid for them on the cross. And therefore, because he lives, Jesus said, you also will live. That is, if we have our sins forgiven in Jesus Christ, we have the sure and steadfast hope that we too one day will rise from the dead in glorified bodies never to die again. That's the Christian hope. That's 2,000 years of Christian history. 2,000 years of people dying bloody and painful deaths for their testimony and their belief that they're one day going to rise to a better life. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? He rose from the dead to reverse Adam's curse. He rose from the dead to deal with our greatest problem and our greatest enemy, sin and death. He rose from the dead to prove that God has accepted his perfect sacrifice. He rose from the dead to show that he was more than just a man, but he was the son of God who came to take away the sin of the world. He rose from the dead to show that through him, indeed, sin can be forgiven. That through him, indeed, sin will lose its power. It will lose its grip on you. That in him, death is defeated and that you too can rise to live forever with him. If you believe. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man, Adam, came death, by a, man has come, uh, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed. Is dead. You see what Paul's saying about Christianity here? He's saying if Christ is not raised, Christianity is a waste of time. It's worthless. It's less than worthless. It's a lie. It's a scheme. It's deceitful. Because Christianity is not 
founded, it's not, it's not first, it's not just some kind of religion, just like every other religion. It's not about coming to church. It's not about praying some prayers or just a little bit of a religious activity. Christianity is a faith that's rooted in a historical event. Either Jesus Christ rose from the dead or he didn't. Either Christianity is true or it isn't. If it's false, we're wasting our time. If it's true, it demands all of you. Paul said Jesus Christ had indeed risen from the dead as the first fruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to him. Who do you belong to? This morning. Why do we die? We die because of sin. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? To undo sin and defeat death. And finally, what does the resurrection mean for us? What does the resurrection mean for us? See, I have to ask you this morning. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in it? That he really rose from the dead. Not just do you affirm it because you think it's the right thing to do. But do you really believe in the resurrection of the dead? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead like you believe the sun will rise tomorrow morning? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead like a child believes that his daddy will catch him when he has to jump out of the window of a burning building? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that you are in him and that you too are so sure that you have a future resurrection life with him that you'll, that if someone, God forbid, came up to you and said, deny Christ or it's over for you, you'll say, I'll never deny my Savior. Do you really believe that there's a better life to come? That when it will cost you something, you'll say, Bring it on. Do you really believe in the resurrection of the dead? What does the resurrection mean for us? It means everything. Three things I want to discuss briefly about what it means for us. Number one, first, the resurrection of the dead means that ultimate justice will be dealt to all. Ultimate justice will be dealt to all. John 5, 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You understand that the Bible teaches that one day everyone, without exception, will be raised from the dead to stand before Jesus Christ. Do we believe this? Do I believe this? I have to think, do I believe that? I feel like if I really believe that, like I ought to believe that, it would change the way I talk to people. It would make me get on my knees and beg you saying, do you know where you stand with Christ? Because whether you like it or not, and whether I like it or not, when we die, we will stand before Him. 
It doesn't matter what we think. If it's true, it's true. If Jesus Christ is alive, he's alive. If he has said what he has said, he has said what he has said. He is coming. We will die. We will be raised from the dead. We will have to look him in the eye and tell him what we did with the life he gave us. And what kind of Christian would I be if I didn't say, brother and sister, make sure that you know him. Make sure that when you stand before him, you'll be able to say with a clean conscience and a pure heart, I gave it to you, my Lord. I gave my whole life to you. I withheld nothing back. I hope everyone in this room attains to the resurrection of life and not the resurrection of judgment. But the fact remains that all will be raised and all will stand before him. The resurrection means something for us. So the resurrection means perfect justice will be dealt out. But number two, the resurrection for those in Christ means freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the power of sin. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see what you understand what Paul's saying there? He's saying that the Christian life, becoming a Christian, Christian conversion, is a decision, but it's so much more than a decision. It's it's you can be safe praying a prayer, but it's so much more than praying a prayer. It's so much more than getting dunked in some water. Becoming a Christian, according to Paul, is like dying and rising with Jesus Christ. Becoming a Christian, according to the Apostle Paul, is saying that, you're, that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was as if you died with him. That is, that is, when you become a Christian in a realest and truest and fullest sense, an old part of you has died, your old self has died so that your new self could live. Becoming a Christian is becoming a new person. It is receiving resurrected life, resurrected power. Now in this present age by the Holy Spirit, which will guarantee us a future physical bodily resurrection in the age to come. So the Christian life, so Jesus in his death and resurrection, he kicked off, he inaugurated the new creation. We are made new in Jesus Christ. When we turn from our sins and embrace this risen Savior by faith, then what happens is the Bible says that our old self dies, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, a new self is born in us. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. You are not who you once were. Have you, who can testify to that? New desires. New wants, new passions, new loves. You've been made new. You don't love the things you used to love. In fact, you hate them. You hate all the things that used to keep you from God. And you hate them still. You have new passions, new desires, new loves. 
You see, for those who are in Christ, the Bible says we have died to sin and we have raised to new life in Christ. So this is then is what? It's encouragement for the follower of Christ. You don't have to sin. Sin has no power over you. It has lost all of its power because you have died with Christ and your life is hidden with him. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we are free from the power of sin. We're free from it. We don't have to go back. You don't have to go back. And the final thing that the resurrection means for us is that the resurrection gives us joy in our unshakable hope. It gives us joy in our unshakable hope. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You see what Paul is saying there? By faith, we receive God's grace. By faith, we, by, by faith, we are justified. That is, we are made right with God. And we have peace with God. We are forgiven of our sins. And we obtain access by faith into this grace in which we stand. In which, what Paul says. And then he says this. He says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? I believe it, it, it's quite simple. When Paul says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, what he means is that all of us who have been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, all of us who have had our sins forgiven and have been made new by the power of God, by turning from our sins and embracing Christ as our hope and our Savior, what he's saying is that we now can rejoice because we have this hope in the glory of God. And it's important to remember that in the Bible, when you read the New Testament, hope. You see, we use hope like, oh, I hope it will happen. Like we're not sure. That's not how the Bible uses hope. When Paul says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, all he means is the future expectation. He's, Paul, doesn't, Paul doesn't think, oh, the resurrection might or might not happen. He doesn't think that. He says, no, it does happen. The hope is a sure and certain faith that what God has said he will do, he will do. And since we have that hope, we can rejoice that we have the hope in the glory of God. That is what? That is that we were made, we were made to reflect God's glory. The apostle Paul said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed to us. What is Paul saying? He is saying that one day when Christ comes and we are raised from the dead, we, we will be transformed into creatures that are so glorious, reflecting the glory of the Lord. We will see with new eyes in ways that we've never seen before the eternal future that's destined for us knowing and loving and rejoicing and serving God and ruling over the earth forever with Him. We will see things about God and about the world and about ourselves so purely and so clearly in a way that we've never seen before that even the deepest suffering we've ever experienced in this life will fade away into a vanishing memory. Why? 
because we have the hope of the glory of God. What does this mean for us? Don't you see? It changes everything. Because if we have this hope, then we can do anything for Jesus Christ. If we have this hope, we can go and leave our family and our kindred and fly across the world and share the gospel to Indian natives who might run us through with a spear as soon as we land and get off the plane. It happened to Jim Elliott. Let me tell you something. He's not sorry he did it. Believe me, he's not sorry. Anything you give up for Christ's sake, for his gospel, and for his glory will be rewarded so richly in the age to come, then why don't we do it more? The resurrection changes everything. And so I conclude this morning by just asking this question. Do you have the hope of the glory of God? Do you have the hope of the glory of God? That's the question. And I don't want, you know, people don't like this part of the sermon, but listen, just pretend I'm talking to you across the table. We're having a cup of coffee. I'm looking you in the eye. I'm your pastor. I love you. I care about your soul. I care about your eternity. What I'm talking about, it's not just some kind of joke. It's not just some fleeting thing. It really matters. It really matters to you. Do you have this hope? Have you... Have you surrendered to God? Have you turned from your sin so that the fundamental posture of your heart is no longer my will be done? But have you turned so that the fundamental posture of your heart is thy will be done? Do you believe that he's alive? Do you believe that he's risen? Do you believe that he is able one day to call out to the tombs and you will hear his voice and burst forth from the grave? Do you believe? If not, I invite you this morning to find the hope of the glory of God. You can by turning from your sins, by calling out in your heart right now and saying, Lord Jesus I believe, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life, change me, forgive me, make me new. Call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, and we're going to sing a song of decision. If you want to follow Christ, if you want to learn more about following Christ, if you have made a decision for Christ this morning, I want you to just mark it on that card. That's one of the reasons I asked you to keep your card. Just mark it on the card. There's a little place where you can mark it, or you can write it in the prayer request. Mark it on that card. Put it in the, um, the plate on the way out. And I want to talk to you more about the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, can it be true that we will live forever? Oh, Lord, it seems too good to be true. But you are alive. And you have told us 